You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. Uh, this is Musketeer Space, Chapter 57, A Drop of Water. Bodies were strange. Human bodies stranger than most, though it was so long since my lord had allowed himself to be truly sun-kissed to burn bright in his natural state. To be a female was a new journey. Taking Felton's shape meant more than copying her face, the shape of her ribcage, her brisk and military manner. It meant shaping breasts and cunt to be hidden beneath layers of uh, uniform. It meant a different way of walking, a different tilt of the hips and length of spine. Being Felton and being female-shaped were equally strange states after spending nearly a decade as some version of a beautiful young man. Once it was done, once Georgiana Villiers, the Duchess of Buckingham, lay dead on her own floor, once Marshal Felton had bugged the community communication lines and taken out several members of the security team and found a safe house at a good distance from the scene of the crime, in order to monitor and consider her next move. Once all that was done, my lord had to choose a new face and body. A person that no one would recognise. He had failed to kill Conrad Sue at the house, but the message he intercepted less than an hour after the assassination of Buck, provided the location where he was heading, the convent of Carmeline. The next body he made for himself would also have to be female-shaped. Only when he had finished the shaping and smoothing of the new identity did Milord realise how much he had borrowed from Dana D'Artagnan. He had become a tall, softer version of her, with similar skin tone and facial features. Not close enough to raise suspicion, but perhaps Sue would feel a connection to the mysterious stranger. Milord prodded at the new body, noting where he needed muscle tone or soft tissue, refining the design. When it was done, he illustrated the arms with a tangled pattern similar to those he had seen scrawled across the tail fins of sabre-class darts. These humans. A few crosses and starfields carved into an object, or a person, and they deemed it sacred. Tattooed and perfect, wrapped in the robes of a space nun, my lord set out to locate the secret stash of credit studs he had set aside for emergencies when he had been Vanille de Winter. No need to steal a skimmer when he could purchase one without suspicion. Revenge was a weakness, he knew that, and yet he wanted this particular revenge so badly he could taste it in his new mouth. The job was not complete until Conrad Sue was as dead as the Duchess of Buckingham. What else did he have to live for but to thwart his enemies? Conrad Sue would never see Sister Snow coming. 
This is going to take forever, Dana D'Artagnan raged. We have to get there now. Can't we take one of the darts? Spaceships are not exactly the thing for mountaineering, drawled B. de Winter. If you're willing to risk causing an avalanche in the region, be my guest. But I suggest you listen to local advice. Skimmer's the only way to cover the area safely, said Athos, rugged up and ready to go. He'd found another three layers of woolen clothing somewhere in the tower. I've called ahead to Brabazon, the nearest city to the Drift Mountains, and ordered two skimmers to be picked up there. We can dock the darts at Portside and travel on from there. Hang on, said Aramis, frowning. There's a good distance between Portside and Brabazon. Is there a bullet train between them? B laughed suddenly and then sobered. Oh, you're serious. The bullet train doesn't go that far north. No one does by choice. Athos exchanged a glance with Roe. If ever Dana had been wary of those two teaming up, now she had all senses on high alert. What aren't you telling us? she demanded. It's a dirt cider thing, said Roe with a smirk. Don't worry, it won't kill you. Conrad stood out on the stone wall, watching the horizon and letting his breath turn to steam. Sister Snow spent a lot of time up here, he'd noticed. She was polite to the nuns, but her preference was for silence and stillness, away from their friendly buzz. He was out here because if he had to listen to a nun analyse his fleur-de-lis team history one more time, he might punch one of them. Everyone has been so kind, said Sister Snow. She was dressed in robes lent to her by the nuns of the convent of Carmeline, thick white wool trimmed in bands of striking red that reflected the dark tattoos still visible at her wrists and throat. Her wounds had mostly been healed via medipatch, with only a few spidery scars remaining that would disappear after another treatment or two. They do their best, said Conrad. This is a good place to gather yourself before the next thing comes along. Sister Snow turned a smile on him that was surprisingly cheerful, white teeth gleaming. What's the next thing for you, Conrad Sue? Where are you going when you've gathered yourself? I haven't decided, he said, which was all kinds of lie. He wasn't going to tell a nun that he was running straight back to Paris as soon as it was safe, into the arms of a brave and funny musketeer, instead of his wife. He wanted Dana D'Artagnan. He wanted his job back, his life. He wanted to return to Alex's side, designing new outfits to conceal the growing pod babies that the wretched prince had slung inside his shirt. Conrad wanted to stop feeling bad about Buck, who'd been good to him, but whose death made protecting Alec a hell of a lot easier. Wow, yeah, there was the guilt stab right in the stomach, completely on schedule. He wanted Luna Palais and Fleur de Lis and Dana, and a chance to breathe air that wasn't made by goddamn trees. So many things he wanted, but he would settle for one right now. I'm ready to go home, 
he told Sister Snow. What did she care about the details anyway? It's not safe yet. My girl will let me know when the coast is clear. Oh, said Sister Snow, with an odd sort of smile. It felt as if he'd met her before, though Conrad could not place her for the life of him. You have a girl. That's a trick question, he said, pointing a finger at her, half-accusing. You want me to spill my story. She gave him a merry expression. What else is there to do around here? My story is long and complex, and I'm pretty sure I can't tell it sober. Sister Snow arched an eyebrow at him. Luckily for you, the sisters left a flask of wine in my room. I do love nuns, Conrad said fondly. There should be a nun appreciation day. On behalf of nuns everywhere, said Sister Snow, I salute you. Horses, moaned Porthos. It had to be horses. It's horses, or Mecca, insisted Athos. You had to know him very well to spot the amusement behind his flat expression. Only way to cover the distance to Brabazon. Horses, Aramis said quickly. Seriously, I know he made fun of you, Dana, when you were training for Essart's squad. But Porthos would destroy the world if she ever tapped into a Mecca suit. Mecca for me, said Dana. Oh God, Mecca, please. The thought of riding a live creature that rolled and breathed under her made her feel physically sick. I'll go with D'Artagnan, said Rosnecho. We'll make better time than the three of you on horseback and take one of the skimmers from Brabazon. The rest of you can collect the other. The sabres had stayed behind with the rest of the ships and the Countess of Claric. It was clear that Roe wanted to be rid of them as much as the musketeers did, though Dana hadn't thought too closely about what that might mean. Athos frowned. I don't like it. We shouldn't split up. Dana gave him an impatient look. We can't delay further. My lord will not hesitate to kill Conrad if, she, if he gets near him. Row and I will go ahead. Meanwhile, we get to watch Athos demonstrate his superiority with land-based mammals. Porthos groaned. Wonderful. It's not my fault you were born on an ocean world, Athos said smugly. Just you wait until the safety of the solar system hinges on my dolphin training skills. The mecca that Roe and Dana hired from Portside were different to the suits that Dana had grown familiar with on Luna Palais. They were designed for harsh winter conditions, converting from the usual humanoid form to some kind of snowbike setting with large wheels, a heavy tread and hover mode. There was a setting labelled Blizzard, which Dana hoped she never had to use. With the map programmed in, she and Roe made good time across the icy plains, until the statuesque city of Brabazon came into sight. It was like something off an old-fashioned joyeux card, with intricate gabled roofs that might have been constructed from gingerbread. Dana barely even glanced at the city's adorableness as they shifted their bikes back to humanoid setting and headed up the street towards the skimmer dealership, two large metal giants stomping across the snow. Do you think we made good time? 
she asked Roe over the comms. Hard to tell, Roe buzzed back. We don't know how much of a lead my lord has on us. Enough, Dana thought darkly. The wine wasn't anything special. Not like the vintages that Conrad had been spoiled with during his time as the Prince Consort's companion. It did the job to loosen his tongue as he told Sister Snow a censored but amusing version of his love affair with Dana d'Artagnan, his various kidnaps and his most recent flight across the snowy northern wastes of Castellian to reach the most inappropriate safe house that Chevreuse, or as he renamed her for the story, Sheba, had ever provided for him. I'm not convinced it's not a practical joke, he admitted. Was always a bit of a prankster, my mate Sheb. Star nuns with a sports fetish can't be a coincidence. At least you're safe, said Sister Snow. She'd been watching him carefully since he first started drinking the wine. Barely blinking, in fact. Conrad remembered the last time someone had watched him like that, and it wasn't a good memory. Huh, he said, and set the glass down. Are you waiting for something? Sister Snow's eyes widened, and she started blinking again like a normal human being. I don't know what you mean, dear. It's just it's kind of obvious now, he said, that you spiked my drink. I'm assuming not poison, since we drank the same wine, or you could have taken the antidote already, hadn't thought of that. Sister Snow tensed. Only slightly, but the shift of body language was enough. Yeah, said Conrad, with a small nod. Thought so. Could look like anyone, they told me. Might have been less obvious if you hadn't borrowed half my girlfriend's features. Now that he was looking for it, he could see how much of Sister Snow's face and body type had been inspired by Dana. Not the height, that was Buck, if anything. But the shape of the shoulders, the ears... The eyes, damn it. No wonder she seemed so familiar. No wonder he felt like he could talk to her. There was a confidence in her, his, her face, a calmness. Conrad had hit the nail on the head. Sister Milord Snow was waiting for something to kick off. Something that was in the drink. Thing is, Conrad went on, I know you only kidnapped me the once, and you weren't after any information at the time, but you worked with the Cardinal's people for years. Did none of you talk to each other? Special Agent Cho figured out in the first five minutes. Psych drugs don't work on me. Genetic incompatibility. Luck of the draw. Doesn't matter what kind of brain-drained shit you made me ingest, it won't take. Sister Snow's gaze flicked to the half-glass of wine that remained and then back to Conrad's face. She smiled, and it wasn't the wry smile of a fellow traveller anymore. It wasn't human. Not for nothing was Conrad a member of the only Fleur de Lis team of all time to have an unbeatable season. He leapt to his feet and hurled himself backwards as Sister Snow, my lord, made his move. Even in stupid planetary gravity, Conrad was more than capable of a quick handspring to the window ledge, where he kicked out the glass, real glass, 
and watched it shatter across the winding snow-packed staircase that wound around the outside of the convent. Milord lunged for Conrad, who launched himself out into mid-air and landed hard with a skid on the landing below. He rushed down the steps, even as the freezing northern wind tore through his clothes. Where to go? This was the safe house, so where to go next? He wasn't even sure where the star nuns had docked his skimmer. Sister Snow herself had arrived via skimmer, but hers crashed, hadn't it? Or did she fake that? Conrad saw a shape in the hazy distance of the mountains, cutting through the grey-white of the endless winter sky. It looked like a ship. A rescue party? Or more of my lord's traitorous aliens? Something, someone, slammed into him from behind. Conrad turned as he fell, soaring into the air for a breathless moment before he hit the steps hard his head cracking with a fierce pain on the landing. As his vision swam, he saw the white and red blur of a nun and wondered if he was doomed or saved. Don't hurt the rest of them, he slurred. They didn't do anything. Soup and porridge. Good nuns. The nun leaned over him and yanked the scarf back from his head. It was doom, after all. Sister Snow nudged him with her foot, looking satisfied. For what it's worth, I didn't put psych drugs in the wine. I was waiting for the wine to run out, so you would reach for the flask of water. Wetness fell out of nowhere, a steady flow from a flask onto Conrad's face. He screwed up his eyes and mouth, trying not to breathe, but it stung his skin and he spluttered it in through his nose before his traitorous mouth coughed open to take a splash of water inside. Just a drop, said my lord de Winter. That's all I need. This is depressing, said Roe, surveying the grey building settled into the mountainside, layered in white snow. There should be more safe houses on beaches and tropical islands. I'll make a note of that in the report, Dana sighed, tapping her foot impatiently as they waited on the top step of the convent. The deep resounding tone of the bell still vibrated against the walls, but it was a while before they heard footsteps and a tiny elderly nun pushed open the massive doors to let them in. More guests, she said, looking pleased. I'm Sister Ursa. Welcome to the sharing hall. I don't suppose you are famous fleur-de-lis players too. We're hoping to get a team together for an exhibition game. I'm the musketeer d'Artagnan, said Dana, as the door closed behind them. Rose started stripping off her heated gloves and snow-damp outer layers, but Dana didn't want to waste time. This is Special Agent Cho. We need to see Conrad. No point in wasting her time asking for his pseudonym if the nuns were Emerald Knights fans. Before Sister Ursa could answer, a great clanging alarm shook the walls. Sisters! yelled another nun from the courtyard beyond the sharing hall. We're under attack! Dana ran.
She found herself skidding and sliding across a frosted courtyard and up a stone staircase towards a nun with sankafoil standard biceps beneath her robes. The nun had the unconscious figure of Conrad Sue draped in her mighty arms. "'Sister Valantis, what is going on?' cried Sister Ursa, as more and more nuns gathered in the courtyard. Dana's own feet stopped moving as she stared at the figure of Conrad, unsure if he was even breathing. "'Sister Snow did this,' said Sister Volantis grimly. "'Who are these strangers?' "'We're his friends,' Dana said helplessly. "'Is he?' "'Hurt,' Volantis snapped, and pushed past everyone to sweep Conrad into the sharing hall, laying him flat on the enormous table. "'Send for Sister Gemini. We need medic intervention now, head wound.' "'Yes.' There was blood smeared on the table, Dana realised, and in Conrad's blue-tipped hair. As the nuns scattered to arrange medical attention, she stepped closer and laid her fingers over his hand. It was cold, but from the snowy air she was certain not a lack of pulse. "'Conrad!' she whispered. His eyes fluttered open and fixed upon her. "'Here's trouble.' Hey, Dana said with a soft smile. Heard you got taken down by a nun. Don't laugh. The nuns around here are mighty and glorious. His eyes glazed over, losing focus. He's a star nun now. Looks a bit like you. My lord, Dana breathed. It's okay, we've got you now. How long ago? Rosnay Cho broke in. How far could he have gone? Conrad looked confused. Head injury, dear, Sister Ursa reminded them gently. Water, said Conrad. Dana looked around. Can we get him some water? Several nuns with medipacks and other equipment, led by a uniformed medic that the others called Sister Gemini, crashed into the sharing hall from an inner door. No, said Conrad his hand squeezing Dana's finger with surprising strength. It was in the water. Sorry about... Our timing's terrible. What was... And the words caught in her throat as she saw him shudder on the table, his hand falling from hers. No! Help him! The nuns with medical training closed in and around Conrad. Dana stared wildly. Wishing that Aramis were here, that any of her musketeers were here. Last they'd checked in with each other, the three of them were in the second skimmer, two hours behind Dana and Roe. Poison, said one of the nuns, checking the readings on her medipatch. It's damaging his blood vessels faster than the tech can repair him. But it's not, said Dana. He can't. Conrad's body shuddered again. The many patches beeped furiously. Heart stopped, said Sister Gemini. I can't... What kind of poison is this? Rosnay Cho breathed out. It could have been any other breath, but Dana was on high alert for anything, any sign. What is it? What do you know? 
This sounds like the illness that Milady Delia de Winter suffered from before she died, said Roe. She moved her hand as if she was going to touch Dana in some comforting way, but stopped before she made contact. As a point of reference. I see, said Dana. The nuns continued to work on Conrad, attempting to get his heart started again. Dana turned around and walked back out of the warm convent into the snow. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. This podcast was recorded on Palawar land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional owners and continuing custodians of Lutruwita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates, follow me on Twitter at, at TansyRR, and if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week. Mm-hmm.